go ahead and pull out your pew Bible. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 1. It's probably good to go ahead and get to it. Um, We're in the middle of a series. The series is called Simply Christian. And basically, after last year, after we tracked our way through the Bible, and and we went the entire story through, now I want to present it to you in a different way. We're going to be looking at the foundations of our faith, things that caused us to get to a place where we want to believe, where we want to have a relationship. And this is a little bit challenging for, for those of us that sit in the pews week after week to go back and try to put ourselves in a place of trying to figure out faith for the very first time. But that's what we're working through. We're looking for what it is that causes us to search out and seek out a spiritual faith-filled life. So this week, we're going to be talking about that search for spirituality, and we'll do it through looking at the lens of Romans chapter 1. Would you please let, pray with me, and we'll study the Word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Whether it's on a mountain, at the beach, alone with thousands of people, in the middle of the desert, on the frozen tundra line. Everyone is looking for it. Everybody's looking for it. Everybody wants it. Some experience it through music. Some experience it in complete solitude. Some find it in the eyes of children. And some find it holding the hands of the elderly as they're going to pass on to glory. But all of us, every single one of us, strives for it, desires it, and absolutely believes in it. We are spiritual beings. All of us, every member of the human race is searching for something that is bigger than themselves. They're searching for a spiritual wellspring, something that is going to make them feel alive and engaged in what's going on around them. And that's really tripped church church folks up. We don't know what to do with that. See, for a long time, at least here in the West, we've been able to bottle faith. And in a very compact and neat package that, for the most part, keeps to itself on Sunday mornings. It doesn't bother anybody. You don't want it. You don't have to stop by for it. The rest of your life will not be interfered with or impacted by it. You can come in, get your weekly dose, and then go out into the world and resume real life. And for the most part, that method seems to have really worked for the church up until about the mid-1980s. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, people wanted to get spiritual on us. In fact, what we started seeing was the rise of a group of people who would say, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what that means, what they're trying to tell you is that they're seeking something that is sacred, something that is holy, and more and more they're finding less and less of it in the church. By the mid-1990s, the technological boom that was supposed to bring the world to our fingertips, it actually caused the traditional church some staggering damage. And it was because all of a sudden, people could get online and and they could find alternatives to what was coming at them from Sunday mornings. And they weren't just Christian alternatives. Because, see, at the heart level, every person, whether they're a Christian or not, is still seeking some kind of otherness something holy, something sacred. So everybody all of a sudden had, had this instant access 
to the internet. And they could find all kinds of alternatives. So how, how then does the very basis of our faith, what we do in this place, speak to what's happening in the quest for spirituality today? Well, the biggest thing that the traditional church, and, and by traditional, I don't mean our style of music, I mean just a brick-and-mortar collection of people. The biggest thing that the traditional church has to offer those who are spiritually seeking is relationship. Because that's what drives that thirst for spirituality, that connectedness, that idea that I'm not out here by myself, but that I am a part of something bigger than I can imagine. Relationships are what drives us to find the other, to seek out our place in that greater scheme of things. And Christians should never, never be afraid of those who claim to be spiritual. That's awesome. That's our invitation. We should feel empowered to help them seek what they're longing for. Because, see, we're a faith that understands relationships. We understand that connectedness. We understand those forces that bring us together in a multitude of ways. You don't get out of, a couple, of the first couple chapters of the Bible before two types of relationships are formed. First, there's this great relationship between humanity and divinity. And let's be honest, when you're spiritually seeking, what you're looking for is some kind of divine connection. Well, God and man entered into that relationship in the very beginning of our story. We own that connection between humanity and divinity. The sacred, the holy other, God himself, he doesn't even wait for Adam to go out on some kind of spiritual quest to find him. God just walks right into the garden. Just comes right on into that garden and just strikes up this conversation with Adam. Why? Because relationships are at the heart of who God is. That's what God intended, was that we were going to be in a relationship with him. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about those people who who talk about going out to the beach or they're standing on top of the mountain and, and they're just waiting. They're waiting for the voice of God to talk to them and to spiritually change their lives. And God, God just walked right into the garden and said, here I am. Let's go. Let's talk this out. So it's not that, not that Adam was dreaming about the voice of God. It's that God came to him. And that's a premise of our faith. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to us. God always had that intention in his mind to be in relationship with us. When someone goes on a spiritual quest, what they're looking for is that experience of the divine. They want engagement with something holy. And that's something that we as a church, we should not miss. We should not miss because in Jesus Christ, we have that opportunity to engage God. In Jesus, we get this glimpse of a God who loves people, who loves people and who wants them to know, know him and respond to that love. We're not talking about some God that's just out there. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus who eats with sinners, who binds up the brokenhearted, who washes our dirty feet. We can experience God on a personal level. And God intends for that relationship to be a spiritual experience. But the problem is that for years, churches have kind of doled out drops of this relationship with Christ. As as though if they didn't ration Jesus 
we might run out of him. And so what we would do is we'd give you just a little bit of Jesus. Just, just a little bit. You know, just enough to get you going a few days into the week. But where we are in the world spiritually today is that there are people who are so spiritually thirsty. They have been in a drought for so long. They are so parched that they're ready to drink from a fire hose. And when churches don't turn on the water, people go looking to quench that thirst someplace else. Friends, this is great news for us. This is awesome news for us because we don't have to ration Jesus. There is no limited supply of Jesus. We don't have to worry about running out of forgiveness or mercy or grace or love. We have the ability to give it and give it and give it through a fire hose if we want to because we're not going to run out of Jesus Christ. And we can give Jesus to every person that we meet. And contrary to, to popular belief, that's not going to diminish Jesus for us or for them. A few months back, I was having lunch with a semi-churched friend. And what I mean by that is she's connected to a church. She goes occasionally. And I don't usually connect to her as, as a church person. We connect because we're both parents. We both have elementary schoolers. We have things in common. And at first... That's what lunch was all about. We were talking about teachers and summer plans and things like that. And then she got all the serious all of a sudden. Imagine, I mean, you're sitting there over at first watch and, and you're having this nice, nice brunch and, and your friend just leans over the table and, and she goes, uh, could we talk about business for a second? I know that church is your job, but I have some real questions about Jesus. So I, I replied to her really quickly that Jesus is not my job. Jesus is my life. And, and she went on to talk for almost an hour. She's 43 years old. She is searching for something more than just the basics. And what she was interested in, what she really, really wanted to know about was relationship. How could she have a relationship with Christ? Do you see what an amazing time we're living in? Everybody is so afraid that we can't talk about Jesus, we can't talk about God. But the truth is that there are people absolutely everywhere who are just starving to have that conversation. They're just looking for that open window to have that conversation because they're seeking something beyond themselves. And if they're going to talk to you about it, it's because they figured that you know how to get it. And if we as individual believers know where to find something and we really do care about our fellow human beings... We need to go tell them how to find that for themselves. In my conversation with my friend, she's explaining to me that she has traveled all over the world. She's one of those ones that took a break in between, between high school and college to go find herself. She lived in Hawaii. She lived in the Caribbean. She told this tale of, of going out and, and backpacking all over Europe. And now she has this beautiful family and she has a highly successful career. But she has this feeling... There's this part of her that she can't explain, but she has this feeling that there's something more. Something that is way beyond all of this, everything that she's seen and done. So, um, so I told her about praying in the car. Now, can you imagine? I mean, just imagine how this conversation is going to go. I am talking to a woman who's been in more countries than I can name. She's had adventures that I couldn't even dream about. And here I am in the middle of Bradenton, Florida, telling her that praying in my car is one of the most holy experiences in my life. 
And here's the thing. She was absolutely fascinated about this. And she starts asking me questions about praying in the car as if it is a completely exotic concept, which I finally realized to her it, it was. She asked me about formalities, like, how are you supposed to address God? Is it Mr. God, dear God, holy, amazing God? How do you address God? And how long should the average prayer be? I mean, like, is there a right time? Is there a sweet spot where God's really going to listen to you? And she was asking me if it was wrong for her to ask for things. And, and should she pull over to the side of the road so that she's not distracted? And when I explained to her that, that knowing Christ is about a relationship, and that she could talk with him in any form of conversation. Didn't have to be like me, didn't have to be like anybody else. However it is that she's going to talk to God is the right way for her to talk to God, and she was captivated by the whole concept. I think we've got to realize that, that what we take for granted, what we have in this place, is something that so many in the world today are looking for. They're seeking it out as spiritual. There's another relationship that we have in the life of the church that speaks to so much of what the world is, is actively seeking. It's a relationship, a meaningful one, that we have with one another as believers. We get to help each other experience the sacred, the holy, the divine, and we get to see glimpses of that in each other. But beyond the church, when the church is done well, you create a community that is so much more than a group of people who just happen to see each other on Sunday mornings. It's a group that does life together. And that's something that Kirkwood's worked really hard to do. When the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans, in the beginning of his letter, you can hear there's an urgency to Paul's tone and, and his tenor. He's wanting to get to the Romans as quickly as possible because, what it, because of what it would mean for him how spiritually fulfilling it would be to him to be part of that beloved community, to be in a place where he's going to be encouraged and grow and fed. So Paul writes in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I am served with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing, I remember you always in my prayers. Paul's heard. From where Paul is, he's heard about this community. He knows good things are happening. He's trying to get to it. He's praying that God's going to get him there sooner. I, I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will, I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you so much that I may share some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He's bringing something to the party. When he gets there, he's got things that he wants to share. He's got good news, he's got stories, he's got life, and he wants to share it with the people. But then he says, he catches himself, and he says, or rather, so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See what he's looking for here? He's looking to be connected to something. He wants to be surrounded by those who are going to build him up, who are going to help him grow in his faith. He sees that. The man is in isolation. He wants to be connected to something else. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended <laughs> to come to you, but have thus far been prevented in order that I may reap a harvest among you, as I have in the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you who are also in Rome. 
He wants to be in the beloved community. And Paul sees a spiritual value in being physically connected to other believers. He wants to share his spiritual gifts, but also to receive them from others. That's how a relationship works. He wants to be in a place of mutual encouragement. And we get that. (coughs) We get that from his letter. Prison doesn't lend itself to encouragement. It just doesn't. But when you see... (coughs) um, Steve, can you grab me a glass of water, please? (coughs) But when you see that desire, even from the famous apostle... I mean, here's Paul. He's a bastion of the faith. And he wants to be connected in a meaningful way you know that there's a spiritual quest going on. And that community is no longer as easy to come by as it once was. In a technological age, we're all brought together, right? I get on Facebook, and I'm connected to people all over the world. But I'm not. I'm I'm really not. They can't get to me. If my kids are hurting, they can't get to me. They can send me a nice little note praying for you. They can like everything I do. But they can't get to me. And that's a difference. That's where the beloved community is different. Look at the real estate market and look at how they're building houses now. There's an interesting phenomenon going on where the front porch is making a return. The front porch. You know why? Because the front porch was the original social network. That is how people connected to each other, and they did it in a meaningful, face-to-face way. See, there's a desire. There's a desire among people today to be connected to something larger. And if that desire for a spiritual experience is rooted in that need to be deeply connected to something larger than oneself, then to be a part of that valued group that does life together is an ideal situation. That's what people are looking for. They want to be part of that group that's going to do life together. So let me explain to you what that might look like in in today's church. Two or three times a year, the young moms of the church here, here in this congregation, without any planning, without any officially sanctioned church event, pass down our kids' clothes to the next kid in line that could use them. And that may not seem like a lot to you. But from a little girl's perspective, they see it as having a family of sisters where they all get to share each other's clothes right down the line. There's nothing churchy or biblical about this, really, but it speaks very much to the volume that our kids in this congregation see themselves connected to each other and to their church in a meaningful way. I want to tell you about something scandalous that happened in our church this winter. Um, a group of ladies decided to start a lunch group. Now, here's what's scandalous about this group. They didn't bother to ask me about it. They didn't clear it with the session. They didn't even call the church office to get it on the calendar. I mean, can you just imagine doing something crazy like that? And I have no idea how this entirely random group got connected to each other or how they got started, but by the time I found out about it, they're already deeply invested in each other's lives. That's what they did as a result of being here and being the church together. So they are so connected that when one of them decided to start her own business, another one of the group members made it a point to be among her first customers on opening day. 
they're off doing life together, sharing their gifts, being mutually encouraged. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the beloved community. In the days of the early church, that kind of connection was what made the church. They needed to have that community. Not programs or events, but engaging lives in a way that the community was closely connected to each other because of their connection with Christ. It was organic, it was authentic, and it was spiritual. And somehow along the way, the church lost that. When I see Maria, my baby, wear an outfit that might have been worn by Anna, then by Chloe, then by Scarlett, I don't just see clothes. I see four precious little girls who don't know a way of life apart from each other. Church to them is not this big green building. It's an extended family that they count on to be a part of their lives. The kids of this church, when they come over here on Sunday mornings, do you know who they go looking for? They go looking for Bob Dunn. Why? Because every week, he's got gum for them. He's got his juicy fruit gum. There's nothing in the Bible about juicy fruit. Nothing. But they know that that's what Mr. Bob does. And he's part of their family. And when he's not here, when he's gone for those six to eight weeks in the wintertime, we have a gum crisis. That's our family. That's what we do. Church, we are living in a great age. We are living in a great opportunity to share the good news. This is something Hollywood's been trying to capitalize on for years. Back in 1997, a movie came out called Contact. Jodie Foster was the lead. And everybody thought it was going to be an alien movie. She's out there searching for this extraterrestrial life. Watch the movie. Go watch it. Go see what she's searching for. She ends up on this spiritual quest. Ends up talking to a man of faith. And at the end of the movie, she's reporting back. She's going before a board. And she's talking about what she discovers. And they're dismissing her. They're dismissing her. They're saying that what she's found is is ridiculous. But this is what she's, this is what she said. She said, look, I've had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am, tells me that it was real. I was giving, I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision. A vision of the universe that tells me how undeniably, how tiny, how insignificant we are, and how rare and precious we are. A vision that tells me that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, not one of us, alone. I wish, I wish that I could share this, says Jodie Foster, if only for one moment, that we could all feel that awe, that humility, that hope, that comes from being connected to something bigger than ourselves. That continues to be my wish. So friends, that's our call to ministry. We're living in a world that's out there seeking. They want to get connected. They really do. They want to believe that it's not just all about them. And spirituality is rooted in connectedness and relationships that are much larger than ourselves. If we've got relationships that are going to stretch this way to the heavens, and this way to each other, then right here at the center, we're the heart of that passageway that's going to start them on that journey to what they're looking for. This is a great time. 
a great time for us to be the church. To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.